Kelly Nelson, episode two, touchdowns to turnbuckles. What's up, buddy? Doing great, man. This should be a fun one. College stars. We're ready to rock and roll. Much more familiar faces, episode two, for uh, modern fans, let's so to say. Eh, perhaps. Maybe uh, maybe more common than Wayne Munn. And Rocco's <laughs> a pretty big star, but the Munns of the world and the, and the, uh, the Broncos of the world. Yeah, last uh, last time you had to be, you know, I mean, there was guys like Buckets Goldenberg that I hadn't even heard of before researching them. Uh, so these guys, yeah, these are all going to be people that became very famous pro wrestlers, some like all-time famous, all-time yeah. great. Uh, yeah, I'd say if you're watching this video, you'll know all these names. So before we get going, Kelly, any any uh, feedback, any whatever from the first episode? Yeah, everybody that I know that watched it uh, really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I got some great feedback. Uh, thanks to everybody for watching and uh, providing feedback. And yeah, we're we're going to keep going. This is going to be uh, interesting going forward because we're going down all kinds of different lanes. Um, yeah, it's going to be exciting. For sure. So let's not waste any more time, Kelly. Let's get right into it. All right, Kelly, the first guy we got here is Vern Ganya. Tell us a little bit about Vern. So, yeah, Vern's the first of this week's uh, college stars that became pro wrestlers. And, yeah, he was a, he became a very big name in wrestling, obviously. So he was born February 26, 1926 in Cork, Minnesota. Forgive me sure. if I uh, <laughs> didn't pronounce that correctly. And he went in, uh, actually, he was an All-State player in football in high school. So he was, you know, big into football right away. Um, I got his, I guess this would be his college weight, his play or his football weight and height as 5'11 and 215 pounds. So not bad size by the standards of the day. He went to the University of Minnesota, of course. So continuing that tradition from last time with Bronco Nagurski of uh, guys who went to the University of Minnesota, then became wrestling stars. Uh, Vern's path or path through college was a bit unique. This came in 19, well, in the 1940s during World War II. So he started there in 1943. Um, then he went into the army, went into to serve in World War II. So he had a gap of four years before he returned to college. So he just had a freshman year and then went to war, then came back and did three more years, 47 through 49. Um, he was all Big Ten team, but I'm not sure which year that was. I'm thinking 1943. I'm not even sure how many years Vern played football. Um, I know for sure 1943. Then after he came back from war, I'm not sure if he just focused on wrestling and he because he became a huge star in, in uh, amateur wrestling or if he continued to play football. But anyway, this was the one pick of Vern from football that I could find. Um, St. Vern with the, the halo around him here um, <laughs> for the University of Minnesota. He was a defensive end slash tight end. I think he was known more for his uh, defensive prowess than his, his offensive skills. And yeah, so like I said, he excelled at amateur wrestling post-World War II. He won several NCAA championships. 
He was at one point, I think, like the top heavyweight in all the United States, all of college wrestling, very highly regarded. He did go to the Olympics in 1948 in London, but for whatever reason, he didn't get to compete once he got there. Um, I think maybe he just didn't have the backing uh, when he got there. He didn't have the right people uh, to to um, get him into the Olympics proper because he had the credentials. Um, so I'm not sure exactly what happened. Unfortunately, he didn't get to compete in the Olympics, but he was highly regarded in football, or at least regarded, maybe not highly regarded, regarded enough to be drafted by the Chicago Bears in the 1947 draft in the 16th round, <laughs> uh, the 145th pick. I don't know how many rounds those old drafts went. Uh, they could go on forever, it seemed. Um, so pick 145 would be around the fifth round now. Yeah, I was wondering. Yeah, so because back then you would have had, I guess, maybe 10 teams. Late so. fourth, early fifth, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so you had far fewer teams, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but still. Um, and uh, I have a note here that Vern was picked 59 spots ahead of Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer, and future horrible uh, pro wrestling commentator, Art Donovan. <laughs> Yeah, what do you weigh, Vern? What does this fellow weigh? Uh, 215 pounds, apparently. And he was picked 184 spots ahead of future legendary coach Tom Landry, who I believe played for the New York Giants and was a wide receiver, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, so, yeah, uh, drafted by the Bears. He considered playing for the Bears, but Papa Bear... Coach owner George Hallis refused to allow Ganya to do some uh, moonlighting as a wrestler. He needed a full-time commitment from the Bears. And so this, you know, the draft was in 47. He still was in college until 49. So I don't think it wasn't until 49 that he had to make a decision about going pro. So he did sign with the Green Bay Packers in 1949, though. And he played three exhibition games with them. But he was released before the season started. And this is interesting because uh, in the future, when Vern would uh, talk about his dalliance with the NFL, dalliance with the Chicago Bears and and playing professional football, he always uh, conveniently left out this fact that he actually did play three exhibition games with the Green Bay Packers, but was released before this season because that didn't make him sound like a very important football player, or highly regarded <laughs> football player. But, you know, he's a wrestler, so they tell fibs. Um and apparently he was later offered $5,000 a year to play for the San Francisco 49ers, but he declined. I think this was 52 or 51 around there. And $5,000 a year was pretty good money at the time. The NFL was still struggling for relevancy, but by this point, Ganya was making way more a year as a wrestler. And uh, that was, that was it for Vern as far as football went. So, yeah, that was the end of Vernon football. Of course, he went on to a major career in wrestling from 1949 to the 1980s. Yeah, he at one point in the 50s was like second only to Luthez as far as like the top serious uh, wrestlers went. He he was uh, quite a draw in different places, of course, big in Minnesota. And then he would promote in Minnesota, form the AWA. 1960 and and didn't look back from there on out and yeah 
he died April 27th, 2015. So yeah, Vern, a notable uh, dalliance with football, but of course a way longer dalliance with pro wrestling. Yeah, that was a, that was a sad end to his life. Um, yeah. The dementia and all. That 2015 mm. spring summer was was kind of uh, right. unfortunate with Vern, Dusty, and Rowdy, right? Back, Hyper. Back, back. Yeah, yeah, and then Nick Bockwinkle, I think in November, I want to say, of that yeah. same year, one of Vern's or Vern's main rival over the years in wrestling. Yeah, very sad. All right, Kelly, next up we got Bill Watts here. Yeah, the cowboy. So Bill Watts was born May 5th, 1939 in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And he was listed at 6'2", 230 pounds as a football player. So Watts, I mean, he he was a notable tough guy, loved football players as a, as a wrestler, loved to bring them in. As a football player himself, well, he went to the University of Oklahoma, which in the 50s and all the way to today, of course, it's a prestigious college to play at. So they were coming off when he joined them in 1958. They were coming off a long stretch where I believe they won 47 straight games at one point, multiple national titles. So he joined them at a high point and he played 58, 59 and 60 with them. But he was never a starter, apparently. Um I mean, like I said, they were an elite school then. They were stacked roster-wise, so it was probably pretty hard to get on the field. Uh, he played right guard, left guard, right tackle, so on the offensive line. And he was teammates with Wahoo McDaniel at the University of Oklahoma, and it was Wahoo who introduced him to wrestling. And this started you know, his uh, path towards a huge uh, career as a pro wrestling star because Wahoo, who was a, a star player at Oklahoma, went into pro football, but also started wrestling professionally in the sixties quite early and would become a huge star himself. But he, he put planted the seed for the wrestling bug in a young Bill Watts. So after Oklahoma, Watts did try to catch on with a, a professional league of uh he tried with a very different or very um a uh, few different uh, professional leagues starting with the Houston Oilers in 1961 who were just brand new at that time only in their second year in the uh, from the AFL this picture we have up here i'm not sure where that comes from i'm pretty sure it's not an oklahoma picture um i'm thinking it may even be for this next team the Indianapolis Warriors Here's a, a deep cut for you. Uh, they played in the they played in the UFL, which was a, a minor league. Um, I guess the Universal Football League. I don't know, or no, probably the United Football League. Yeah, that would make a lot more sense. Uh, but then he later formed the uh, Universal Wrestling Federation, so maybe that's where he got the Universal yeah. from. But anyway, yeah, there was these minor leagues kicking around at this time. And so that was in 1962. I think he was good enough to be a starter on the uh, Indianapolis Warriors. Um, and, but it was in Indianapolis where he got into wrestling professionally for the first time for the old um, Dick the Bruiser WWA 
territory. And as far as I know, he was a hit right off the right from the the word go in professional wrestling. Was uh, a babyface at first. Of course, he was big. Um, yeah, so he he fit right in and was pushed to the top quite quickly. He did have one final tryout with the Minnesota Vikings of the NFL, but it, it didn't go past the tryout stage. And that was the end of football for Bill Watts. He basically, his story is, or was that he quit football because coaches didn't want him wrestling part-time, which was similar to Vern Gagne's <laughs> story. And of course it was also like Gagne, much more lucrative to be a main event per wrestler and uh, being like a C-level professional football player so yeah he became a huge star right away that previous photo was him against bruno sammartino in madison square garden in 1964 where he he had turned heel on bruno in early 1964 and that the subsequent series of matches between the two of them set records at the time in new york for box office they were huge this picture right here is great this is from around that time I would say this is just before he turned heel when he was still a baby face, I'm guessing, in New York. But he's with like a who's who here of some New York stars. On the far uh, left, you have Wahoo McDaniel, who was playing for the New York Jets at the time. You got Bobo Brazil there, big star in wrestling. You got Casey Stengel, the manager of the New York Mets and former manager of the New York Yankees for many, many years. Uh, there and then the other two gentlemen i'm not sure i think the one guy with the you can see the number was probably a new york jet because i think that's a jets jersey and then the tall guy in the back i'm wondering if he maybe played for the new york knicks i don't know um, i was just gonna guess maybe he was a nick <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's say he was a knicks so then we have we were just missing like a new york ranger to have like the top four the big four he's sports be a hockey guy <laughs> yeah he's not a hockey player no um, but yeah, great picture there, and Excellent. Bill with his with his great uh, cowhide uh, vest and and all that. Looks so amazing. yeah, yeah, it's an amazing picture. So like I said, yeah, he became quickly a major star in wrestling uh, in every territory that he went to for years and years, north and south, all over. And he, like Vern, uh, also became a promoter eventually in the 1970s. And uh, he quit wrestling relatively early. I think he was done as a full-time wrestler by the end of the 70s and concentrated on promoting. And in the 80s, he was very, very successful for a long time as the promoter of Mid-South Wrestling. And then eventually, uh, like I said earlier, the UWF, the Universal Wrestling Federation. But his football uh, career, as it was, was not too impressive even though he kind of rubbed shoulders with some major names. But yeah, uh, that's Bill Watts as a football player. Kelly, next is a wonderful wrestler. Tell us all about him. Yes, Paul, Mr. Wonderful Orndorff. He was born October 29th, 1949 in Winchester, Virginia. He was listed as six feet, 230 pounds as a football player. 
And he had an interesting uh, football career, and I'll get into it here. So he, he went to the University of Tampa uh, from 1971 to 1972, I think just two years, but it, it could have been earlier. A lot of the info on these guys uh, for their football records is, is tough to, to find. Um, there he is, number 40. He was a fullback for the first part of his uh, college days, and then he was uh, moved to tight end for his last year. He was known as the Brandon Bull and was quite well known uh, as a high school athlete in track and in football. Brandon is apparently part of the Tampa area, so that's where that comes from. So he was, yeah, he grew up in Tampa, went to the University of Tampa. Uh, Tampa, they were the Spartans, and they had just moved up to Division One A, I think, in like the mid-60s. They had been in uh, either one double a or division two prior to that. So they were relatively new to the top level of uh, college football when uh, Orndorf went there, but they, they actually had uh, a pretty good success uh, in, in uh, division one at the top level very quickly. Um, almost, well, it, as it turns out, it was the too quickly there. Uh, they were victims of their own success, but I'll get into that in a second. Um, Orndorff was a pretty good player, as far as I can tell, as a fullback. He had a big game in the one, uh, I believe it was the only bowl game that the University of Tampa played in. It was the Tangerine Bowl. And uh, it was a game against Kent State University in 1972. And they won that game. Orndorff scored two touchdowns in it. And the 72 Tampa... Spartans team went 10 and two and actually featured the 1973 first overall draft pick uh, defensive end, John Matuzic on the team. Uh, the twos, I believe he was drafted by the Houston Oilers, but he became f uh, famous playing for the Oakland Raiders later on and was known for, as quite a character um, and, and died young. Uh, much like a lot of uh, wrestlers, unfortunately, do. He sort of yep. had that wrestler party lifestyle, as far as I know, as a football player. Uh, so it shows you that Tampa was you know, not a bad place to play football at the time if they had the first overall pick. But it was a quick downfall for the University of Tampa. Um, basically, what happened is they became so successful that they, they were forced to uh, to keep up, to put more money into the football program. And the, the university just didn't have uh, enough money to keep them going at that high level. So they, I think by the mid seventies, the program was, was eliminated completely, which is crazy. Uh, nice. It was like, a, yeah, a meteoric rise. They went from division two to division one and then uh, had some success. And then a couple of years later, it was all over because they just couldn't keep going at that level. It's crazy. Um, Orndorf, though, was drafted by the New Orleans Saints in this time, the 12th round of the 1973 draft. And that was the 289th pick uh, that year. So pretty much that must have been getting near the ball. I think 12 was the limit. Uh, I don't think uh, the NFL ever had more than 12 rounds, maybe in the very early days. But I think by this point, 12 was the last round. Um, I don't know if he was Mr. Irrelevant or not. Um, probably not if it was an odd number pick, but yeah, near the, near the end. Um, 
he did sign with the Saints. And there's a picture coming up here of him signing his contract with the Saints. Um, and he played uh, just on the off-season slash practice squad for them in 1973 uh, and, and didn't play in any uh, uh, exhibition games. Or I guess he maybe played in exhibition games, but didn't play any um, regular season games. And then in 1974, he went up north to the Chicago Bears. And same thing, was on the off-season slash practice squad and then released. And he was still clinging to his his uh, dreams of football glory. Uh, but this time, he was uh, relegated to going to the new and short-lived World Football League, the WFL, in 19... <laughs> 75, but he was able to go back to Florida. He went to, he played for, or he was signed by the Jacksonville Bulls of the WFL. The WFL is something I've always wanted to do more research on because I know it was like a very, at times, very fly by night, like teams folded mid season. Um, there was a Toronto team, or there was going to be a Toronto team called the Toronto Northmen, but at the last second, they were changed to, I think, like the Miami Southmen or something like that it was a weird last second change. They signed a bunch of NFL players, like a bunch of Miami Dolphins went to them. And the Dolphins had been uh, back-to-back champs at that time. That it kind of screwed up with uh, screwed up their uh, attempts at having a three-peat. Did Vincent J. McMahon own the WFL? <laughs> no, but he could have. Uh, at that time, like Vince uh, Jr. was involved, of course, with the, uh, Evil Knievel Snake River Canyon fiasco, and also the uh, they were both involved with the Muhammad Ali Antonio Inoki uh, yeah. boxing match, so they were dabbling in in other sports. Uh, but no, they that didn't get into the XFL joke. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, but it would have been funny if they did get involved in the WFL because the t- did he sell it to Rocky Johnson? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> history repeating itself. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the soul man. The soul man. Soul man tried to give it a go, but it did fold. Anyway, it was a very short-lived uh, league, and uh, again, Orndorff could only play on the off-season slash practice squad. And it was at this time he got into pro wrestling, uh, also in Florida. And uh, the rest is history. He he was he moved up the ranks pretty quickly. Um, in the eighties, he was a very significant wrestling star. Um, one last thing about his, his athletic career is in 1986, he was inducted into the university of Tampa athletic hall of fame. So he did have that honor. And yeah, like I said, huge star in wrestling in the 1980s, of course, the big feud with Hulk Hogan, the big heel turn, but he, he worked all over, um, was famous for the pile driver, of course. Um, and into the 90s, he had a, a renaissance with WCW. And yeah, uh, big star. And, uh, you know, uh, somewhat of a football star at a, at a certain level. Um, but yes, yeah. I mean, he wouldn't become a big wrestling star if he was a big football star. That's going to be the story, of course, of this whole series. Is uh, Other than Bronco Nagurski, I don't know. If we're going to talk about too many guys that were great at football and great at uh, wrestling uh, on the professional level anyway. So, yeah, um, that's that's Paul Orndorff. He died July 12th, 2021, not too long ago. Um, yep, rest in peace, Paul. We miss him. 
one of my favorites in the 80s. Now, Kelly, when you thought of this project, this is the guy I first thought of, Ron Simmons. What do you got on Ron Simmons? Yeah, I mean, he has one of the most impressive resumes uh, for a college football player, at the, at least. That's for sure. And that's kind of why I had him as the main event guy for this uh, this episode. Because, yeah, of all the guys we talked about, he had the most impressive uh, wrestling or football career. And, yeah. So he was born May 15th, 1958, Perry, Georgia. He checked in at 6'2", 250 pounds as a football player. And yeah, he was a big star at Florida State University in the late 70s. And he went there from 1977 to 1980. And he was on the defensive, defensive line slash linebacker but yeah he was known for his his pass rush um for his tackles for loss he was he was the master at getting into the backfield there he is number 50 he finished ninth in the heisman voting in 1979 which is nothing to sneeze at uh he was a two-time all-american 1979 1980 uh, florida state at the time was very good they this is kind of forgotten almost that, that they had this uh, blip of a couple of years in the late seventies. Cause they're more known for their success in the eighties and nineties. But in 79, they were 11 and zero going into the orange bowl against Oklahoma, but they actually, I think they got pretty much blown out in that game. They were an independent at that time. So they played uh, teams from all over the country, but I looked at their schedule for 1979. They didn't have too many real top teams on it going into the uh, the bowl game, but the Orange Bowl was a major, major game then. The next year, though, they were arguably even better, even though their record was one game worse. They were 10-2. and two. Um, The previous year, they were, of course, 11-1. and one. Their one loss in the regular season in 1980 was to Miami, University of Miami, Florida, by one point. Uh, I think it was 10-9. And Miami was just at this point uh, starting to become a powerhouse. I think they had Jim Kelly as their quarterback at this mm -hmm. point. And so they once again, Florida State once again in 1980, made it to the Orange Bowl and once again played Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl, Barry Switzer's Oklahoma. And this time, though, they did lose, but they only lost by one point, 18-17. So their two losses in 1980 were both by a point. So they were two points away from being undefeated in 1980. And they were number two in the country going into the uh, Orange Bowl that year. And I think Georgia won and was undefeated. So they wouldn't have, even if they beat Oklahoma, they wouldn't have been number one in the final poll. But they would have definitely finished number two and been undefeated. So those were two very good teams. And Simmons was basically the MVP of those those two Florida State teams, 79 and 80. Um, a bit more about his... Uh, Florida State acolytes, um, accolades. <laughs> I guess that's a Freudian slip for uh, his uh, wrestling career right there. Uh, his jersey number 50 was retired in 1988 by Florida State. He is a member of the Orange Bowl Hall of Fame because he played in two. And he's also a member of the College Football Hall of Fame. 
He was inducted in 2008, so a very prestigious honor for Ron. He did try uh, professional football, but it just didn't work out for him. He was, I guess, maybe undersized for the NFL because he wasn't drafted until the sixth round. You would have thought for someone with his um, credentials coming out of college, he would have been drafted higher. But he wasn't taken until the sixth round, 160th overall by the Cleveland Browns in the 1981 draft. And like Orndorff, he was only on the offseason slash practice squad for the Browns two years, 1981 and 1982. But he did play some games, at least, in the CFL in 1981. And that's the picture we're looking at right here for the Ottawa Rough Riders. Not to be confused with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. There is a subtle difference. Ottawa Rough Riders is Rough Riders is two words. Uh, Rough Riders. Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Rough Riders is one word. Um, and also, for those uh, not in Canada like myself, uh, the Ottawa Rough Riders haven't existed since 1996, but there was a point in the, I guess, the early 90s when there was eight teams, late 80s, early 90s, eight teams in the CFL, and two of them were the Rough Riders. Uh, that was a joke on the old, I think it was the Drew Carey show, not the Drew Carey show, but the show he was on uh, prior to the Drew Carey show where he was a supporting actor. I can't remember now what it was called, but anyway, he made that joke. Um yeah, a brief stint with the Ottawa Rough Riders um, in 1981. And then from 83 to 85, he played for the Tampa Bay Bandits of the USFL and uh, was actually teammates with Lex Luger uh, at that time. And they would eventually uh, feud in WCW. And then that whole story was part of the feud was that they were teammates in the USFL. Tampa Bay Bandits had uh, one of the cooler uh, looks of a USFL team, their helmets were really cool with the uh, cowboy with the bandit. Um, and uh, it was, I think it was black and red were their colors. Um, them and the Houston Gamblers had the, the best looks for the USFL. Um, so, but I, I don't know, I couldn't find, there's not a lot about uh, the USFL out there, or at least I didn't look hard enough. So I wasn't sure, I'm not sure how successful he was, but he did play three years with them. So um, I'm assuming he, he was a, a starter there. So he did try for a good uh, three years and th or no, uh, five years in three different leagues to try and catch on, but it didn't work. And around 1985 was when he got into wrestling, also like Paul Orndorff and also like Lex Luger in Florida. So Florida, the old Florida territory was definitely good at pumping out uh, former football players uh, and turning them into uh, pro wrestlers. And Simmons, at first he was, you know, kind of used mostly in tag situations, um, kind of eased into things um, for years as a tag team wrestler, of course, with Doom in the early 90s was sort of his peak as a tag team wrestler. But then around 1981, he got his big singles push in WCW, of course, with Lex Luger, like I mentioned. And then in 1992, won the WCW world title, which was a huge uh, moment in WCW history big time uh, celebration after he won. And then of course he had a long off and on uh, career with the WWF slash WWE and would be most known for the damn. damn. Uh, yeah. And with the uh, acolytes slash uh, APA with Bradshaw. Yep. The, ac the accolades um, production agency. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, and so back to tag teams, of course. So yeah, most of his success was in tag teams. And we're going to talk about one of his uh, most famous tag team matches later on. Uh, yeah. So significant star in the nineties in wrestling, but he was a significant, very significant college star at the end of the seventies and the beginning of the eighties. That's Ron Simmons. And that's it for this week for the college stars. I'll run through my references really quick here. Wrestling data, of course, my go-to source for info. Heroes and Icons and the Heels, both from ECW Press, two good books. Uh, college and foot pro football reference. I love those sites. I love all the reference sites. I uh, use them on a daily basis. I uh, used some Bleacher Report for this, this episode and ProWrestlingStories.com. And, of course, a bit of Wikipedia. And next time out, Ryan, we're going to continue with college, but this time we'll be looking at one specific college, the, the famous West Texas State, where they pumped out tons of pro wrestlers over the years, especially in the 1970s. So we'll be talking about that next time. It's going to be hard to pick a four out of them. I know. Yeah, I, I, I haven't decided yet on the final four, I don't think. Pressure's on. <laughs> All right, Kelly. So let's take a quick look at our depth chart here. All right, Kelly. We don't have to worry about our depth chart right here, but we can add some guys to positions here. I started here on the defense with Ron Simmons at defensive tackle. I think that's his most notable position. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. And it's going to be uh, – he'll be the starter for sure. I don't think anyone's going to bump him going forward. For sure. I thought he played a little linebacker, but I think he's most notable for his Heisman defensive tackle run. And then at the end, we're going to add Vern Gagne here. We'll see, I'll be curious if Vern sticks it out here at the end, be it 5'11, 215 pounds. Right. Bump him out of here. Well, we could maybe move him to tight end if need be, because he did play that position too. But I think defensive end was definitely his, uh, uh, his most uh, important position. All right, for future reference, we'll throw a little tight end right there after him, just like mm -hmm. we did here with Bill Watts. Uh, I think he's more of a guard, but we already mm -hmm. have two guards already. So I'm not sure at the end of the day if Bill Watts is going to be a starter for us. But for now, he's our starting offensive tackle because yeah. I think Buckets is definitely above him. And we'll give give the old guy Wayne a little rub above him too for now. So we'll keep him in the offensive tackle, and we'll see how yeah. it shakes out for him. Yeah, well, he wasn't a starter at the University of Oklahoma, so it wouldn't be surprising if he doesn't make the cut for our uh, all-star team. For now. But anyways, with uh, see, when I – see, I'm, I'm an offensive coach with my high school, and we use more tight ends and fullbacks. We kind of use them we, – we, we run 11 personnel. So a tight, back, a tight end and a fullback is kind of a hybrid, hybrid between the two. I'm not necessarily <laughs> sure we'll have – we'll probably run 22 personnel here by the end of the day, which is two, two running backs. And two tight ends. So I think uh, Orndorff is more of a tight end for us at the end of the day. Uh, maybe yeah. perhaps move him to fullback at the end of the day. But for now, I think tight end is the best lane for him. Yeah, I mean, we already have Nagurski and Sonnenberg in the backfield. And Orndorff, we need some pass catchers. Orndorff yeah. himself wasn't happy about being moved to tight end, for what it's worth. But uh, too bad, Paul, you're, you're playing tight end for us. Yeah, we're going to have to sit him down. It's going to have to have be three conversations <laughs> with Paul to get it in his head. And not at the end yeah. of the day, I don't know if we can trust him on the field. But for now, he's our starting tight end. And uh, we'll see how he, uh, he shakes out here. More notable guys here in the wrestling world, I would think, than actual football yeah. players outside of Simmons. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's true. That's a very good point. I think Simmons, even to this day, 
you a lot of people would be like, oh, I didn't even know he played or he became a wrestler because he was so notable as a, as a football player. Yeah, but the other three are much known for the wrestling opposed to the football. Oh, player. yeah. Oh, yeah, by far. For sure. But you did a great job running them down. All right, now let's quit telling while we're here. Let's jump over to the match rating list. All right, so last time, just to catch us up, if this is your first episode, Kelly recommended Bronco Nagurski versus Gus Sodenberg, a two out of three falls match for the undisputed world championship on August 3rd, 1938 in Los Angeles, California. 13 minute and 50 second slugfest that I gave three and a quarter, one, three and a quarter stars. And you gave three and a half Nagurski versus Londas in a 13 minute slugfest. I gave three and three quarters and you gave four from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania a few months later in November, 1938. But that's this last time. Now let's jump into the guys we got here. So Kelly, you were nice enough to go out and ask Pete Schumacher, our friend here on the no. So to give us some match recommendations for these four guys to go along with your four match recommendations. So Kelly, do you have any, uh, any fine words for Pete before we get going here? Well, Pete needs all the positive vibes <laughs> he can get because he's a big Chicago Bear fan. And oh. uh, they are arguably the worst team in the NFL. Maybe not even arguably uh, at this point. So it sucks for him. Um, but yes, he's a huge wrestling fan. He's a man of 10,000 discs. Uh, he's probably got, yeah, one of the largest libraries of DVDs, wrestling DVDs in the, in the known world and my longtime uh, partner on Titans of wrestling and, and Worldcast. So I asked him, I reached out to him and asked him a few recommendations for Vern, for Watts, for Ron Simmons and for Paul Orndorff. So he came up with, uh, for, uh, Vern, a bit, a match between Vern Gagne and Billy Robinson from Japan in 1974. It's a match years ago when, uh, Fern passed away. Uh, Pete, Johnny, and myself, Johnny Sorrow, did uh, a tribute show to Vern, and we reviewed this match on it. I remember liking it a lot. It's a real, you know, strict technical match between two guys that wrestled a ton at this point in time. That was a major rivalry in the AWA. But this one was from Japan. It goes about 40 minutes. I, uh, I, I give it four stars. It's definitely uh, for sure worth watching. Um, I didn't get a rating from Pete. I just uh, realized that right now. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll say Pete gave it four stars too if we're putting his uh, ratings down. We'll have to get uh, it. We'll have to reach out to him in next episode. We'll plug it in. Yeah. This is one of the matches I was in unable to watch. Um, I didn't really, it was hard to knife out some time to sit down mm -hmm. for 38 minutes here and get yeah. into it. I did initially find the link and watch a little bit of it. I thought it looked really fun the first few minutes and i think both guys looked you know billy my first time really watching billy i thought he looked good he had a great look and everything and i just thought that the vibes was early on would really sink in with these guys and i was really in for a doozy but unfortunately i got i got distracted so um i'll have to uh catch up on on my uh, on my viewing on that one i do want to go back and watch it anybody can watch it everybody i yes. mean it's not everybody's cup of tea it's like I said, a strict technical match. It is like your stereotypical quiet Japanese polite crowd. I believe uh, there was it, no volume, no commentary. Was I right? Oh, or? I can't remember. I thought there yeah. maybe not commentary. But I think uh, there's at least crowd noise. But I'm, I, I'm. It's been a while since I've seen it. But yeah, it's 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 worth watching for sure. 
I didn't do my homework on this next one either. That is Vern Gagne versus Luthez. Two out of three falls for the NWA Championship. January 25th, 1952 from Chicago, Illinois. Coming in at 53 minutes. This yeah. was a recommendation for you, from you. Yes. Kelly. Yeah, no, I've been uh, praising this match for years. It's from the Chicago Film Archives YouTube channel that has a ton of matches from the 50s on it. This was this is like the crown jewel of that archive, though. This two a match between two huge stars at the time. Luthez was the NWA champion. Ferngania at this point was the young up-and-coming lion, uh, totally different from the Vern you see in the, the Billy Robinson match. And it's a it's an excellent match. It it can fit for me, it it's it's timeless. Um goes the distance. Um, I highly recommend this one, even though it's from 1952 and it's black and white, but I mean, check it out if you can have the time. I put four and a half stars on it. It's my favorite match from the fifties that I've seen. I'm no, by no means an expert on fifties wrestling, but I have seen my fair share of fifties uh, wrestling over the year, over the years. And it, it's definitely, uh, yeah, it's highly regarded. Um, I've, 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 yeah, like I, I've praised it so much. I have nothing else to say about it. Uh, I did catch match. a few moments of it. Um, I fell asleep twice on it. You know, <laughs> both on my own, watching it late night after a football game or after you know, mm-hmm. high school film all day. All right, let me throw this on. Four and a half stars. Maybe the vibe. I'll have to uh, another homework assignment for me there, uh, Kelly. Oh yeah, I mean my ratings. You know, the don't take them as gospel or anything. But... I did. I did pr- to get the timestamp. I did. I listened for the bell and I listened for the closing bell just so I could, you know, do the timestamp and yeah. that final stretch. I did catch that final stretch and it, yeah. it, I want to buckle down and catch this one day for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely uh, well worth your time. So the next one we have here, as we jump into Vern territory it is the midnight express versus Vern Ganya and Staggerly. Never heard of them. <laughs> All right. And Actually, it's, up- it, <laughs> it's Bill Watts and Staggerly. Um, but uh oh yeah geez. oh there's oh. Just, a, just a typo <laughs> just a little typo there i was sleeping at, i was sleeping at the wheel all right look at this <laughs> hey kelly we're all we're all not perfect right that's a that's, that's, a, that's sometimes fine we call, that, that's coach, we call that a cb coach is bad all right so uh <laughs> yeah midnight express versus bill watts and stagger lee bill watts coming out of retirement here for a lights out tag team match july 4th 1984 mid-south new orleans louisiana 13 minutes, 38 seconds. I went three and a half stars. Thank you to Sean Kidd for providing this link to us. Uh, this link is on daily motion. I will put it in the, I will put it in the comments and it, uh, it, ha- it did a good job of building up the Cornette in Watts feud building to the match. So it was pretty cool stuff. It's a 38 yeah. minute video, but the match was about 13. Cool. Yeah. This was a famous angle in mid South where, um, Watts had to come out of retirement to get revenge after a beatdown from the Midnight Express because he had been ragging on Cornette for months and months. And then finally, mm-hmm. Cornette got to him. Um, Stagger Lee, of course, was Junkyard Dog under a mask. This was at the Superdome in New Orleans. I think this did the second best uh, box office, best attendance ever at the Superdome for Mid-South. Um, yeah, it was a huge match. It's uh, I haven't seen it in quite some time but i gave it four stars because i mean it's it's a classic um yeah i I dug the heat on watts which kind of old timer first time back in the ring 
build up mm-hmm. to the hot tag for junkyard or for excuse me for stagger lee it was it was good psychology to kind of put the heat on watts and you know build up to that hot tag to stagger lee and what was up with that uh diaper at the end that kind of was a little confusing <laughs> i think that was a stipulation that it, i know it would i figured express. it was it yeah was just, it was just so large of a diaper i know <laughs> yeah cornet had to wear a diaper if the midnight express lost it's it's stuff a lot of it doesn't age too well the the way they treated cornet and and uh the implications and stuff like that by bill watts uh at the time but the crowd was yeah. electric for this by the way yeah yeah oh yeah i mean cornet was so great at getting heat that he, and he hadn't had his come up at, uh, at this point. They'd built it uh, quite well over the months. And uh, apparently Bill Watts, like, I think pulled a hamstring or tore something oh, like no within, shit, really? within like the first minute of the match. <laughs> and, and Junkyard Dog or Stagger Lee was uh, like hung over, stoned or something. So it's like a miracle uh, Midnight Express carry job. The, mid- the Midnight's ruled. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they did. But they had their work cut out from that night because both guys on the other side were incapacitated for different uh, reasons. And the next one here for Bill Watts is a recommendation from you, Kelly. It is Bill Watts versus Terry Funk in a singles match for the North American Championship on November 27th, 1975 in Tri-State. For the mm-hmm. Tri-State promotion, I didn't get a, I did not get a city and a state or a state for this. Uh, I searched and I searched and I couldn't come across it. Sean Kidd, thank you again for helping me find the date on this. But this was a five minute, 40 or 39 second absolute master class here from Terry Funk. I went three and three quarters in a six minute match is unbelievable. I think I texted you. I watched this today as the day we recorded it. And I texted you. I was like, that was probably the best six minute match I've ever watched. It was yeah. unbelievable. It was great. Uh, that toe drop arm work we had there um watts with the great selling of the arm and the beautiful strikes from the better limb uh it was just a master class of brilliance really yeah yeah i mean i i was looking for something to showcase uh, a young bill watts there's not a lot out there and this one um i've, I've been aware of this for years but i don't think i'd ever watched it before um because it's it's unusual it's from 75 I don't know when it aired though, because 75 is too early for um, video recording at home. So I'm thinking it maybe was like aired on a later show in the 80s as like a flashback match or whatever. Um, so that's how we got it because there's no other footage from this time from uh, Tri States. And Tri States was, um, you can't say it evolved into Mid South. Uh, Bill Watts quit Tri State and then formed Mid South, but they were in the same territory. It was, I'm assuming this is probably from somewhere in Louisiana. Okay. Yeah, oh, really? it could be. Okay. I'm not sure where the TV was done. They also like they did Mississippi. They did uh, parts of Texas. Yeah, they were, but uh, like uh, Louisiana was their their major um, center. So I'm thinking it's from Louisiana. But it's cool. Yeah, there's not much tri-state footage out there. And Terry Funk, if the date is correct. Only a couple of weeks later, he won the NWA title from Jack Briscoe in Florida. And so that's what makes sense, or it makes sense why he did a clean job here. I was surprised at the finish. Um, yeah, because, it, was kind of, it was very sudden. Yeah, it was very sudden. But it sets up now that Watts has got a clean win over a guy who wins the NWA title in a couple mm-hmm. of weeks. So they could hype on TV, oh, well, Watts has beaten the champion. So the next time when Terry came to the territory with the NWA title, obviously you could uh, hype the match 
in that Watts beat him the previous time. So come out tonight. You'll see Bill Watts are here or win the NWA title. Uh, so that was classic booking from that time. Yeah, this was fun. Uh, Terry Funk, like I messaged you earlier, Ryan, I don't think he's ever had anything less than a good match in yeah. his career. Uh, it's, I mean, he's Even got his squash matches in the WWF are impossible to be. Excellent. Yeah, like, they're excellent. Yeah. 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 And WCW like everywhere he went um, and then into ECW in the 90s, he was still really good. Um, yeah, I went three and a half on this. It was, yeah, it had, uh, it was a TV match. You weren't going to get a, get much. Um, it was, you know, they kept saying on commentary, well, this is unprecedented that we have this level of match on TV. And yeah. that was kind of true at the time because you had to go to the arena and pay the uh, ticket prices to see the, the big matches. So yeah, this was fun. Definitely. Yeah, they just, that glass ceiling, they just burst it through that TV. Mm-hmm. All right, the next one here is from Pete Schumacher, Doom versus the Steiner Brothers, a tag match for the WCW Tag Team Championship on March 30th, 1990. WCW Power Hour taped in Miami, Florida, seven minutes and five seconds. I went three and a quarter stars. I went three and a half, and this was very good too. I'd, I'd never seen this match between the two teams before. Pete just said... um, you know, he's a big fan of all the Steiners versus Doom matches. He didn't specify a specific, uh, like a uh, specific one. So I went and looked, and this one seemed like a good uh, choice, and it turned out to be a really good match. Yeah. This was not long after Doom lost their masks to the Steiner brothers, and it was, was not long before they would beat the Steiner brothers for the tag belts at Capital Combat. Um, yeah, th- this was a great match for TV. Very exciting, hard hitting, lots of suplexes, clotheslines, big power moves. Yeah, big hoss fight. Um, you had Teddy Long doing the boxing gimmick because he was feuding with Paul Ellering at the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. He got some pretty good heat. Yeah, he got some good heat. They actually did a dusty finish where mm-hmm. um, it looked like Doom had won the tag belts, but it, Paul Ellering came out and t- told the referee that Teddy hit, um, I think it was Rick Steiner with a loaded boxing glove. So the the match was reversed, but it was, yeah, it was, or the decision was reversed, but it was a really good match. Good showcase for Simmons as a tag worker or just as a worker in general. Um, these two teams had really good chemistry. They There's tons of matches out there um, to, to check uh, between the two of them from all kinds of shows throughout 1990. And yeah, yeah, really good tag match. All right, in your Ron Simmons matches, Ron Simmons and Eddie Gilbert versus the Fantastics, a tag team match for the NWA United States Tag Team Championship, December 7th, 1988. NWA Clash of the Champions 4 from Chattanooga, Tennessee, 27 minutes and three seconds. I went four stars. This is probably my favorite match out of the eight matches that I watched, or excuse me, the six matches that I watched for Mm. this. I thought this was excellent. Yeah, well, I'm glad you feel that way because this is a personal favorite of mine. I I put four and a half stars on it. I haven't watched it in in quite a few years, but the last time I watched it, I, I loved it. Um, I've always been kind of the high vote on this match, but I I really love the story. Um, it's it was the finals of the a tournament for the U.S. Tag Team Titles. It was also a basically a babyface versus babyface mm-hmm. match, um, which can be hard to pull off. Um, 
you get a masterful, like all time great baby face performance by Eddie Gilbert. In, I was going to say match. that uh, it, it seemed for, for a height, for highlighting a Ron Simmons match. It yeah. was more of an Eddie, Eddie Gilbert showcase. <laughs> I know. I know. But, it, but it's basically the best. It's arguably the best match Ron Simmons was ever. But it symbolizes with. his wrestling career, really, <laughs> in a way. Yeah. It, this yeah. match of Gilbert being the better part symbolizes his wrestling career. Yeah, I mean, I I considered some singles matches from WCW, and there's some good ones like the Lex Luger best two out of three falls is a solid match, um, from what I remember. The Vader match, of course, is classic. Um, but this one, I yeah, I just this is also kind of an under the radar match that um, I'd like to uh, to pimp because yeah, I, I want as many people to see it as possible. Yeah, like I said, a great Eddie Gilbert performance, all-time great Eddie Gilbert performance. Uh, they do really, they're really good at teasing that it's going to go the time limit, mm-hmm. um, but the the I fall comes right at the very end, right? They sneak it in, and the Fantastics win the t- uh, U.S. tag belts. Uh, yeah, yeah. So this is available easily on uh, Peacock, Peacock in the States, Network, Network internationally, uh, on Clash of the Champions 4. So yeah, it, it's, I believe it's also the uh, opening match on the show. And yeah, everyone should check this one out. Yep. And the final, uh, the final one we have here is Paul Orndorff versus Roddy Piper times two. The first one being from New York City, MSG, July 13th, 1985, and eight minutes and 45 seconds. I went three and three quarters. This is so my wheelhouse. <laughs> this was an absolute brawl. It was frantic. It was a DQ. There was this rivalry was not coming to an end, but my God, these this heat was massive. The New York City crowd fucking hated Rowdy Piper. Um, mm-hmm. This was just electric. This is just my wheelhouse of 1985 glory. Yeah, these are great matches. Um, it'd been a while since I I saw this one, but I watched it again this morning or this earlier this afternoon. They have a ton of matches from 1985, and we got back to back matches between them to talk about uh, a great feud in 1985. Um, Piper was hated, but he was also uh, loved by a lot of people in the crowd sure. too. There was a lot of pro Piper, uh, super heated MSG crowd. I went three and a half on this one. It, uh, we're going to be talking about the, the Philly match next. That one I like a bit better. Um, this one was super fun though. Um, and it, both of these matches were different actually. Um, this one had more wrestling to it. Uh, where there was actually uh, Orndorff tried for the pin a couple times, whereas in the Philly one, I don't think there was a pinfall attempt, a single pinfall attempt the whole match. Um, but yeah, these guys tear it up. They tear it up in Boston. There's a Saturday Night's main event match between the two of them, another wild mm-hmm. brawl. Um, I think there's others too. And and then tag, tag matches. Match with Ace. Yeah, because yeah, this one builds to the next month uh, at MSG. It's uh, Piper and Orton against Orndorff and Andre the Giant for a tag match, which is a really good match from what I remember too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Orndorff, this, you know, he was great as, as Piper's partner earlier in the year. And then, you know, Piper turned on him and they had this great feud and yeah, it's, it's, it, and there's, like I said, there's no shortage of matches between the two of them from 1985 out there to check out. So yeah, this one's really good. And then I guess we'll go into the next one right now. Yeah. And the one you recommended, same, same competitors, same style. Um, but mm-hmm. two weeks later in Philadelphia at the Spectrum, six minutes, I went three and a half. I, I did not rewatch these. I remember watching these in the summer mm-hmm. for my 1985 watch. So I just stole my ratings. I wish I had more time to go back. But I feel like I watched, I liked the MSG one a little bit more. 
tell us why you like the uh, Philly one a little bit more. Well, I mean, it's from Philly. Uh, that's why I picked it. It's not because I, that's not what well, bumped up my, <laughs> my rating for it. But I thought, well, Pete did uh, for this. Uh, he did the same as with the Doom and Steiners. He just said, I love all the Piper uh, Orndorff yeah. matches. Oh, so I said, I decided, well, Pete can have the New York one and I'll have the Philly one. Uh, yeah. The, and, but this one, this one uh, speaks to my tastes as a fan. I'm a blood guy. This mm -hmm. one has the previous one had blood, but only at the very end um when uh basically post match i think was when orndorf got busted open in new york but here piper where everyone runs out right yes yeah this one was a great brawl like i said this one i don't think had a pinfall attempt in it um piper gets busted open quite early in the match and is bleeding really good it's the philly crowd so they're just you know you know legendary for their bloodlust um and they're going crazy uh, we get weapons used on the outside chairs and uh, like a microphone at one point. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, the, the Joey Morella is uh, like one of the stars of the match. He takes an awesome bump uh, getting pitched over the top rope by Piper at one point, And it takes multiple bumps in the match. Um, that's the, the end, the disqualification. And then eventually, yeah, the dressing room is emptied to uh, stop the brawl. And you get Sweet Hansen, you get Tony Gurria in, in slacks. Yeah, slacks with no t-shirt. And uh, who else is there? Anyway, it's it's uh, your usual random assortment of guys. Really and they keep brawling. Yeah, they keep brawling and, and getting broken up and then brawling again. Yeah, this one for me with the blood and just more violence and just a pure brawl. This one, uh, I, I rate it above the, the last one, but they're both... Uh, Definitely worth watching. Oh, and another thing, it, it happened on July 27th, which was my eighth birthday. Um, so there's oh, wow. another another vote in its favor for why it's better than the New York one. My mother was about, uh, I don't know, let's say four or five months pregnant at this time. <laughs> okay. I wasn't sure the age difference, but okay, now I know. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right, Kelly. So what do you want to go? What do you want to go? Three and three quarters, is it? Or what did you say? Oh, yeah. I said four. Oh, I, maybe I didn't say oh, four. I went four on this one. Yeah, this Excellent. one's four for me. Excellent. All right, Kelly. Well, those are our match ratings. I will, if they're on YouTube or Daily Motion, I will add yep. those links to the comments and check them out, guys. Highly recommended. Kelly, as we wind down here, give me two seconds on the three and zero Philadelphia Eagles. What are you feeling? Is that a Brian Westbrook jersey we got? Going it on is. Now? It is Brian Westbrook. I'm all about the uh, early two thousands Andy Reid era. Not DeAndre Swift the way he's been running the ball lately. Well, to be honest, I don't have any modern uh, Eagles jerseys. I only have uh, classic Eagles jerseys. It'll have to, the first one I'm going to get is Devontae Smith. Um, I do like uh, DeAndre Swift. I knew that was a great acquisition and he's Cheap, paid easy off money there. That's, that's a good signing right there. Yeah. Another Georgia guy too. And also a Philly guy. Um, mm -hmm. I love that. Um, of course I love Jalen Hurts, Jalen Carter is a monster. He looks steal. like he's going to run away <laughs> with defensive rookie of the year. Jordan Davis has stepped up his game big time. The two of them in the middle on that defensive line is it's, this is, I'm just, code. yeah, I'm dreaming of, of the, what the future holds. Um, three, and know, oh, we talked before we started recording. It's not the prettiest three, and oh in NFL history, but they need all these wins early because they have a death, absolute death stretch ahead of them with um, the Chiefs, the Bills, and the Niners in three consecutive weeks. 
and that's sandwiched with uh, two games at the Cowboys. At least the Cowboys look like frauds uh, as usual. Um, I picked I them knew... a survivor. I am close. <laughs> fucking yeah. I knew I should have went with the should have went with the fucking Chiefs over the Bears. Taylor Swift scared me away. Oh jeez. Yeah. No. That. That. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I would have picked the Cowboys too if I was if I was betting because. But the Cardinals are definitely not as bad as people thought. But no. I'm I'm glad well, your guy Rich Gannon. I'm not Rich. Yeah. Your guy fucking uh, um... Jonathan Gannon. Jonathan yeah. Gannon got him Both. rock and rolling. His, his weird yeah. vibes are just rubbing off the right way. And Matt Cat yeah. Moss's brother-in-law is the DC. <laughs> yeah, and Shane Steichen. Shane Steichen, the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, was the Eagles' offensive coordinator yep. last year, and they're doing uh, better than expected too. So it's nice to see um, the Eagles' coaching tree expanding. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, it's salad days for the Eagles right now, uh, for sure. This is maybe the best team they've had in my uh, time as a fan. Uh, even better than the Super Bowl team. The Super Bowl team was was really good. But it was uh, it turned out to be kind of a one year wonder, um, and then the Eagles or the Andy Reid teams were really good too. But this these teams right now, present day, are just so deep, and some guys are so young, and yeah. I'm I, anyway. I, I gotta be happy about this because it of course could change in a heartbeat as it often does. But right now things are just golden for me. I <laughs> did see a little side by side comparison of Jalen Hurts. A little struggle bus so far. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wise, but you know, you know, it can can cure a little struggle bus with the passing game is him getting downhill, running the ball. So I wouldn't be worried about him whatsoever, especially when the weather cools down whatsoever. And he'll he'll find a groove. He's definitely a top ten quarterback in this league. I'm not worried about him whatsoever. Yeah, but, I mean, apparently he was sick yesterday. Not to make excuses, mm-hmm. but yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, he's not going to be. I don't think he'll have the same numbers as he had last year, but. I can't. I don't foresee a total Carson Wentz um, no. unraveling of the career. Hopefully not. But as opposed to the Patriots, Kelly, we are running out of time. We we're getting the cue to go home. Yeah, <laughs> we're done. Uh, we got one win under our belt. Our defense looks good. Our offensive line's coming around. I, I'm just not necessarily sure Mac Jones is that guy as he continuously has more cup checks than touchdowns. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll see where he, I, I, I never necessarily had high hopes for him, but I always thought he could be a, uh, an adequate quarterback. Sometimes he shows a little bit of flashes up towards that, but he also has bonehead decisions personally on the field conduct. And I don't think he's really necessarily becoming the complete quarterback that we hope for, but it's only been three weeks under Bill O'Brien, I'm sure they'll catch a rhythm and be fine and end up seven and ten, eight and nine. That's kind of my prediction on where we landed as the Patriots on the outside looking in, picking in the teens, not really getting anywhere. But um, it's a loaded quarterback class. I said the yeah. end of this year, I just want to know Mac Jones is the guy or not, and it's kind of leaning that he's not. So hopefully next time around in a month or so when we're here, they are four and three, and I am gushing about Mac Jones, but we'll see. Well, with the twenty-year run that you guys had, I know, it, I know. It, it could be a twenty-year run in the other oh, well, direction. How about a twenty-month run? Not a, no, months. no, no, no. At least a decade. At least a decade. <laughs> I don't want to see a Patriots in Patriots in the Super Bowl until I'm a senior citizen. <laughs> Kelly, this is a great episode, buddy. Fun as always. Um, would you like to? Oh, we already did. The West Texas Cowboys. <laughs> yeah, uh, not the, not the, that was Kurt Eddings' band. The um, the North Texas 
fucking uh we'll be jumping on them next as we west, get west, west west texas. texas yeah west texas west west texas not the rednecks uh the west texas <laughs> damn, i should have i should have checked uh maybe it is cowboys but i, I am not 100 percent sure anyway yeah. west texas football for the next episode excellent kelly see you on the next one pal